how to start. Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to Creative Principles. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. In this podcast interview series, I'll be speaking with writers, directors, actors, musicians, chefs, and various other types of creatives as we bridge the gap between creativity and productivity. Here we'll be discussing the habits, routines, and lessons that help promote a successful creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to subscribe on SoundCloud or iTunes. Stephen Cannell's film Screenwriting and Escape to a Difficult Childhood in the 1980s Bronx. While working on a documentary in high school, a classmate was actually shot and killed. The horrific event encouraged Cannell to pursue a life of educational and inspirational storytelling. Inspired by movies like Flashdance, The Color Purple, and Terminator, the screenwriter knew he wanted to create an authentic story to help others feel seen and heard. Eventually, he created a series about the never-before-seen world of New York's ball culture world. In Pose, the story looks at the juxtaposition of various segments of life and society in 1987 New York. The story interweaves the luxurious world, the downtown social and literary scene, with the iconic ball culture world that showcases black, Latin, gay, and trans cultures. In this exclusive chat, Cannell describes his childhood, the responsibility of a storyteller, what it's like to get your work rejected over 150 times, why he knew his story should be a series rather than a movie, why and why he needed a disruptor to push his story to mainstream audiences. If you enjoyed this interview, look for the print version on Creative Screenwriting's website and join thousands of viewers for the new YouTube series called Creative Principles, where we dissect new films, series, and more. Well, I grew up in New York City, grew up in the Bronx uh, in the 80s. And, the, you know, this was obviously a really bleak time for the city. You know, we were contending with both the HIV, AIDS, and crack epidemics. Um, you know, and I, and I grew up in, in housing projects. And so, um, you know, the streets just weren't safe. Um, and my parents were very protective, maybe a little overprotective. And so um, film and television just became became an escape. And it also was a, um, just a, a, an outlet really, I think, for me to harness, really to harness my voice. You know, it, it, was, it really in many ways film and television became a, a second language for me. Um, and and I think because I loved it so much, my parents were relieved because it meant that I was indoors as opposed to outside. Um, and so that's really where the the love and the appreciation for it began. Um, but I didn't consider it as a career path until I was uh, 15. I was a, a sophomore in high school, uh, and this was in the mid-'90s. And I worked on a, a documentary short um, about turf violence and because gangs have reemerged in my 
South Bronx neighborhood. Um, and it was on the heels of working on that documentary short um, and having a, a classmate who was working on that documentary with me um, be shot and killed at the very tail end of us completing the editing of that doc um, that I realized that film and television was what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. You know, it was, it was that experience of having a, a classmate killed and while working on a documentary that was about that very experience that other people were having, um, it just really transformed the way that I viewed the medium. You know, I think up until that point, I'd always seen film and television as entertainment. And, and that was really the first time where it clicked for me that it was more than entertainment, that it could also be educational. Um, and so that's the moment where I knew I wanted to devote my life to being a storyteller. Were there uh, shows, characters, or movies that you particularly connected with that kind of influenced you, you know, as you were discovering that? Absolutely. I mean, there were so many. You know, as a, as a young boy, I mean, the first film that I ever remember seeing um, and having, like, a really just, like, visceral response to was this kind of a funny choice, but um, the very first Terminator. So I was, like, it was 1984. I remember going to the movies with my parents, and uh, I had a huge love of the Transformers, um, you know, the, the animated uh, show. And, you know, my father kept telling me, no, no, he's like a Transformer. I just remember being so scared of Arnold Schwarzenegger. So that was the first time I saw a film where I remember having, you know, that there was, like, real emotion attached to what I was seeing. Um, and then 1986, I went to the theater to see The Color Purple with my mom. And once again, another really emotional and visceral response to what I was viewing, but for a whole different set of, uh, uh, you know, reasons. And so I, I would say those were two really important films. You know, Flashdance was another one. And you obviously see the nods to Flashdance in, in Pose. Um, you know, but Flashdance was another film that, you know, I just, I loved as a kid and, um, you know, and watched it incessantly. I was so moved by Alex's journey of just like having a dream and wanting to, to live a life bigger than the one she was already living, which I think was very, you know, very much mirrored the experience I was having growing up in the Bronx. Um, yeah, so those were definitely like three films that were very, very important and, and for those formative years, you know. And then with television, I mean, I watched everything. So, you know, like some of my favorites were, you know, I loved like Cheers and I loved The Cosby Show and I loved, um, you know, A Different World. And I and I love, you know, like old shows, you know, like the, the classics, like I Love Lucy, um, you know, so those were shows. I, I mean, I, I was obsessed with the Jeffersons. So, yeah, there was it was a lot. What What do you kind of carry with you from those? Is the main thing in your storytelling to you know capture that emotion uh, in your in your shows? Yeah, I mean, I think that the the for me, what's uh, the common thread? I think with all of those pieces is that there's a there's an authenticity. To those stories, you know, I think that all of those, everything I listed, those were all coming from very real places for those, for those particular storytellers, you know, that those were, that there were emotions attached to those narratives that, 
an audience, regardless of who you are and where you come from, can attach to, you know? And I think what's what's so important when it comes to film and television is that you feel seen and that you feel heard, you know? It's, it's the reason why we are currently in this place where we're seeing this proliferation of, you know, content that is centering historically marginalized communities. You know, it's, there's a reason why we're seeing... Um, you know, so many films and shows that are centering black people and why we're seeing so many shows and, and films that are centering the women and their experiences. Um, it's because that's, A, that's who inhabits the world that we live in. Um, and it's, you know, finally, you know, film and television is reflecting that. Um, but also that that you currently have you know, women and people of color and LGBTQ people who are responsible for telling those stories. And so I think, you know, the biggest takeaway for me then was, okay, it's really, really, really critically important that we are responsible for telling our own narrative. It's definitely a, a major responsibility. Um, how did you first get posed on the air? Like, I know there was a lot of rejection and, and people were saying it was too niche. Um, what kind of led to it actually getting approved somewhere? Uh, well, I met our executive producer, Sherry Marsh, who was the very first executive after meeting with over 150 <laughs> you know, people in this industry. She was the first person to say, I think that this is more than just a sample. Um, you know, I think that this script is a show. Um, and I'm shocked that no one else has sort of jumped at the opportunity to produce it. Let's get this thing sold and let's get it made. And at that point, you know, I really, you know, I will be honest with you. I always felt in my heart of hearts that Pose was a show that would be made, but I didn't think that it would happen so early in my career. You know, I, I assumed that I would have to, you know, do my time, if you will, that I would have to, and work really hard on other people's shows that I might even have to produce something original on my own, but something that was more, you know, quote unquote mainstream before ever getting an opportunity to produce Pose. Um, so when, when I met Sherry and she said, let's, let's take this out. My feeling at the time was, you know, well, good luck. <laughs> you know, I really didn't have, I didn't, I didn't go into it thinking this is going to sell, that that's the truth. You know, I think I, I walked into that experience telling myself <clears throat> I will have an opportunity, um, you know, to pitch to a lot of really important folks in this industry. And hopefully I will impress them enough that, you know, they'll be interested in working with me in the future um, and working with me on some other projects. But I really didn't think that Pose would be the one. Um, so, I was shocked when we then find out that, you know, Ryan Murphy is interested in hearing this pitch and reading this pilot. You know, that was a real shock to me because he is someone who I have obviously, you know, been a fan of for a really long time. And I, you know, really revered his work. And I think, you know, in this industry, he's arguably the most prolific. And so I thought this is insane <clears throat> that we've, you know, sort of caught his eye. Um, but we did. And, and so that was really incredible. And, and now here we are. 
you were like, as most writers kind of expecting maybe a blacklisted, you know, this is just my, to show what I can do type of script. Why did you see the story as a series versus a movie or something else? That is a great question. What's really funny is when I, so I wrote that original draft in 2014 and I, right after writing that, um, I had a manager who I wasn't working with him specifically, but, you know, he was like, I, you know, I want to help you. And so he had sent that script, he'd sent that original draft out to several networks and the feedback was less than positive. Um, and that was the feedback that I was consistently getting was this doesn't feel like a show. It feels like a movie. Um, I just never, you know, the, the answer to that question is that um, I just felt like there was so much more. I just, I didn't feel like this, huh, I don't, how do I articulate it? Um, well, I know when I, when I think of movies, sometimes you're thinking, well, this character only, only deserves two hours. But with a show, you're like, well, this character deserves, you know, 10 hours or whatever, like at the bare minimum. But is there something kind of beyond that? I think, you know what it is for me? I think part of, outside of the fact that I always saw it as being an ensemble story, and there's no way for you to craft a, a story, like a, a two-hour film that is going to service all of these characters, I think the other thing is that it just felt like these these characters were asking because this is the thing like this is very writerly for me to say, but the truth is that like that the characters will talk to you right and they'll tell you what they want and what they need and the reality is that these characters were asking for their full the full scope of their lives to be told, and it would just be impossible to tell that in two hours. you know if you think about the the pose pilot. You know, sure, that could have been crafted into a two-hour movie, and that would have been very—it would have been very reminiscent of Flashdance, right? Where at the end, Damon, you know, he finally gets to go to the school, he auditions, and he gets in, and that's great. But if you continue through the remainder of our season and you look at some of the other narrative threads, like Praetel being, uh, you know, um, diagnosed with HIV, or you look at uh, at Blanca's narrative and her long arc of, you know, becoming a mother and then, you know, receiving this incredible honor at the end of the season. Um, and Or even just isolating the fifth episode of the season when her mom passes away and she has to go back home. Like, all of those narratives get lost. You don't, you don't have the real estate in a two-hour movie to tell those stories. And so the reality is I knew that there was just a lot of story to tell. So it didn't feel like I would be servicing the characters in, a, in the right way by turning this into a movie. Um, so this next question is, is maybe something you've thought about a little bit. Uh, when people told you this was like too niche or too black or too trans, how can that exist when we're, we're, we're told so much that you should write to a specific audience? Like how was there a balance between, I guess, being too specific? Did you kind of come across that question when you're trying to pitch this story? That is a great question. And I wish I had the answer for you. I'm, I was equally as confused, you know, it's just, it was, it's mixed messaging. And that was, you know, I, I entered this business very idealistic, you know, because the truth is that, you know, I came out of the UCLA MFA screenwriting program, you know, and, and UCLA is one of the top five school film schools in the world. 
you know, and, and as a, as a student, what we were being told is the industry is waiting for you. You know, like they want to hear your stories and, and they need you, you know, and we were, we were meeting with all these execs who were coming in to talk to us as students telling us, we cannot wait for you to come into the industry so we can produce your material. So then you graduate and you go out into the industry and you're like, okay, wait a minute, where are all of you? I thought you wanted what I have. You know, it was very confusing. Um, you know, and the truth is, I, I think part of the complications with a, sh a show like Pose is that it isn't just centering Black and Latin people. I think part of the complication is that these are Black and brown people who happen to also be queer and trans. And so I think that added element is, is it was part of the, the complication. I think, you know, because the reality is, when I was pitching this story and when I was talking about it, you know, I wasn't simply saying, oh, this is a story about black and brown people, but I was having to explain what it means to also be queer and trans, you know, and what it also means to be part of the ballroom community. And so I think, you know, there was just a, a very, a long journey that many of these execs had to go on to wrap their brain around this story and this world. Um, and so, and that's not to make an excuse for, for anyone, but, um, you know, I think that there was just, I think it, the story required someone who's a, a disruptor, someone who's forward thinking, someone who's just one step ahead of your modern day audience. And obviously Ryan is one of those people, you know, I think he's someone who's really great at, at being able to discern what an audience wants before an audience even knows it. You know, and so I think it, it, it's not by chance that, that this show landed with him. Did you have conversations with him about making sure it was authentic and not, you know, uh, a, a pitch like this could, it could be flashy rather than authentic and with grounded characters. How did you kind of make sure you were always as real as possible with these characters? Um, well, I think that the environment that the story takes place in, you know, begs for that. You know, there's, there's no way that you can tell a story about that's grounded in the reality of what was happening in New York in the 80s and not have that story be really authentic, you know? Um, so, I mean, we, we certainly talked about it early on, that we wanted to make sure that the show felt, you know, raw and gritty, Um but it wasn't a conversation that we had ad nauseum, to be honest. I think the thing that we both were attracted to about this world and this narrative is that there's this beautiful juxtaposition between the reality, the harshness of the streets, and then the, the levity and the fabulosity of the balls. You know? And I think that that's, you know, the show is representative of exactly what that experience was like for the people who are, you know, on the front line dealing with those realities in New York in the 80s. Um, and so, you know, the, the conversation between Ryan and I early on was just, we just need to lean into both. Um, and so that's, that's what the show is. I don't think we, we don't shy away from the reality of either, you know, I think it's just the, the balls in many ways were, they were a safety net and they were also a reprieve from from that harsh reality of, of, of New York. And so, um, you know, we wanted this show to be reflective of that. It says that you worked early on with um, 
Dustin Lance Black. Uh, so I'll give you kind of a, a choice of this question. What was some of the either mentorly advice you got early on from, from anyone? Um, or what is some of the self-talk you told yourself to kind of persevere to get this, you know, to keep pushing forward to tell this kind of groundbreaking story? What, what were you kind of thinking or what advice did you hear early on about this, getting this made? Well, I think that the one of the pieces of advice that I definitely remember hearing from Lance when I was working with him was just that you have to have patience. You know, like this is just an industry where, you know, unfortunately there are going to be so many more no's that you're going to hear than yeses. Um, and so you just have to be prepared, you know, for that. I think just having an awareness that, you know, that, that this is an industry that requires you to really um, believe in your material and not give up on it is just critically important to the success and to your career. Um, well, to the success of your career, rather. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that that was probably the most important, you know, and I, and I think it's one of the reasons why, as I said to you earlier, I always felt confident that, you know, at some point the show would get made. I didn't know when it would happen. Certainly didn't expect it to happen as fast as it did, but you know, in my heart of hearts, I always knew. Yeah, at some point, it'll it'll get made because it was a story that I wasn't willing to give up on. Is there anything else you want to say about the show we missed, and we'll kind of close there? I'm just immensely proud of the show, and I'm so glad that we found an audience, and I'm so grateful to, you know, all of the the critics who rallied around us early on um, and said this is a show that's special, and we hope that you know people tune in to watch it and so you know it's just um i'm just immensely proud of it and and so humbled that i get to be the one of the people responsible for telling this story thank you for tuning into the show if this is your first time listening please log on to itunes or soundcloud give us a rating providing a rating or sharing content is one of the best ways to help the series grow Make sure to also follow or like us on your favorite platforms like Instagram, Facebook, or the new YouTube series we've started. And check for daily updates over at creativeprinciples.live. 